and welcome to Best Girl Grip, the podcast that celebrates the women behind the scenes of the British film industry. I'm your host, Nicole Davis. Hello, pod pals, it's Nicole. Welcome to the penultimate episode of season two. This week, I interviewed Roxana Adley, a talent agent at Independent Talent. Her clients include some really exciting filmmakers such as Alma Harrell, Yves Husson, Anil Karia, Remy Weeks, Mahalia Bello and Georgia Paris, among many others. It was really exciting to delve into this side of the industry for the first time and ask Roxana about how she spots talent, how she supports her clients and works with them, uh, whether it's at all competitive and what her ambitions are as an agent. Um, I have to give you a heads up that the sound recording quality on this one isn't the best and I deeply apologise for that. It's still a learning process for me and I hope you don't find it too painful to listen to. Thank you to Roxana for her time. This is episode 49 of Best Girl Grip. And what about it appealed to you? 
now that I know, now that I know a lot, a lot more about the difference of roles in film, what appeals to me about being an agent is the ability to work on many, many different types of things at the same time, the ability to constantly renew and re-energize your work if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling like, you know, things are repeating themselves and you can constantly grow in so many different directions. And I think agents are in a position of privilege and power because they're in a, in a relatively comfortable position. You're getting a sort of, you know, you're employed and getting a, a salary and you are able to facilitate work for other people. So I think it suits me perfectly. I also feel like what I really, um, I understand creative people and, and I maybe think in creative ways I do not have what it takes. You know, I, I know my own limitations and I can never be a director or a writer. So I found myself in the right place. Do you find it creatively fulfilling though, like having that input and having that relationship with someone who is very much more like directly creative? I do. I would say I've never felt creatively frustrated, so I think that it's creatively fulfilling enough for me. And working very closely with creative people means it's a huge part of your everyday conversations. And from getting that first job here to kind of progressing to where you are now, is that sort of a relatively straightforward path or you know, do you really have to Put in the effort and put in the time, you know, how, how would you say people who, yeah, start out as an agent assistant yeah. can progress to being an agent? I would say that the path is quite straightforward. As you said, you start, you know, there are only two real levels. You're an assistant. There's a sort of grey area where you're an assistant slash associate and you're an agent and then that's it. There's nowhere else to grow in name. When you start off as an assistant, I think you just need to make a real commitment to whether or not this is something that you want to do for the long run because I saw very clearly that especially when you work mostly with directors, it's a very long path to get, you know, to get uh, to work with someone from their first short film to their first feature film as a process that alone can take years and that's just the beginning of their career. So I, I think you need to be sure that you want to be doing this for the next 30, 40 years because that's when you really see the benefits of the work that you put into it. And let's do a deep dive into kind of the agenting process because often it's when you're an assistant that you start thinking about building your roster and you know how you're going about doing that, where are you looking for talent and how do you even approach them when you're still kind of junior as well and say, I might want to represent you. That, I think my first signing meeting was an extraordinary experience because I was someone who'd probably been in the job for two years trying to sign someone who was at the absolute pinnacle of their career. Um, in this case, it was a French director who'd had a huge hit in France and was, was clearly interested in working with the English language. And I think that, it's, you know, you, you are definitely constantly learning and that's one of the great things about being an agent there's, you, you, have, you also have a different perspective that, that the directors don't have looking out at the industry more broadly. And I'm very grateful to the very, very seasoned experience of directors along the way who gave me the benefit of the doubt and trusted that I could add value to their lives even though I didn't have anything like the number of years of experience that they've had. And, you know, what, what does that conversation look like when you go about signing them? You know, are you sitting down and 
sort of like dating, I suppose, yeah. and figuring out like if you're if you're the right fit for one another. Yeah, I would say that the work definitely the connect, connection with their work will come first and foremost, and I think that I I want to be really excited about about the work and about what they're trying to do and say in, in the sort of broader landscape, and then it is, and then when you meet them, you why be looking to see whether their needs align with my needs, whether we can work in a compatible way, whether I can see clearly from talking to them the path that I need to take, the next steps become obvious to me as to what I need to do. And then it is like a romantic relationship. I think it starts with an an element of excitement and chemistry and I mean, I don't want that to be taken out of context, but it starts with a kind of a chemistry excitement, a spark, and then you get to know each other, and then you adapt to how you adapt to each each other's needs. And I have to figure out what makes these people tick, and how to feel confident working with them. Some of it, you know, some of the experiences we have together are good. A lot of it is really tricky conversations and difficult stuff. And, it's kind of like a marriage. <laughs> right. And when you say that you're looking for someone that is kind of sympathetic of your own needs, what are your needs as an agent? My needs, I suppose, you know, what's important to me is communication and a really fundamental level of, ex- of respect. I don't want to feel like I'm working for someone. I want to feel like we're working together and we're building something together. And, and I also want to make sure that I can meet their needs and I can meet their expectations and you know, the more I do it, the more I'm drawn to people who, as well as having talent and the sort of personal skills, have the sort of drive and the motivation. And how many clients do you have on your roster? And how do you go about balancing that work? I would say that I have about 30 clients on my roster. I would say, and some of them are shared clients. They all are quite distinct in terms of what they're doing. They're all at different levels in their career. So... That partly helps in balancing. Other than that, I think I need to trust my judgment in terms of what every day, I guess, servicing 10 or more people a day, sort of figuring out what the priorities are, what is most urgent, but then also carving out time for some of the slow burn development work. And is that like development in that they're sending like, treatments and scripts and providing feedback? Like, what does that part of the job look like? Yes, there's a bit of that, and then there's a lot of sort of hustling to. I find that I like to work with people at a really early stage, from a really early stage in their career, and then there's always this moment where they get the first sort of opportunity or something clicks, and after that, the work just flows and it becomes a lot more straight. You know, you, you're, the path forward is really clear, and there's like this floodgate that opens. and opportunities multiply so it's that the what I'm talking about with the sort of slow plan development is what can I be doing at this moment when not a great deal is happening in order to create a spark and and how do you prepare your clients for that moment because I often think when you hear about someone getting an agent you know that's a big step in their own journey and sort of that moment of validation but then, you know, it's not to say that immediately the work is going to start coming in. It's to say a lot of it's speculative and predatory. Yeah. So how do you, yeah, prepare them for that sort of sense of you're going to still have patience? I just tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, that's what they meant. That's what they meant to what I can do at that stage. And I've reviewed stuff that I can work with. And so I, I hope that, and I, that they will also just continue to look for opportunities and look for encounters that are going to get things in motion. And we reference that that relationship is a bit like a marriage. So beyond the professional representation, how do you support the clients? I think that it depends from person to person. Some some people, their personal life doesn't come into it at all. But I like, I want to, I really care about my clients. I realise that the job is can be so demanding and can be so draining take such a toll on their personal lives. I think particularly working with a lot of women and specifically women who have families or young children, I my sense or my experience has been that they have a far greater sense of responsibility for the personal sacrifice or the, the sort of toll it's taking on their family life every time they go away to do a really long job. So I do I try and do as much as I can to help facilitate, you know, whether that's just being someone that they can talk to for a different perspective or whether that's trying to put in place contractually small things that are going to make their lives easier, just do whatever I can to make, put them in a situation where they can produce their best work. I would say that, yeah, often it does extend beyond just the professional in terms of the conversations we're having. It's really, it's it's very hard to disconnect these two things when you know when your work essentially can become your whole life or consume your life so much. And how do you then carry that burden? Because it's quite a lot of responsibility to sort of be a facilitator or be the engine behind people's livelihoods in the way that agents are. It has never felt like such a. It's never felt like a a degree of responsibility that I can't carry for multiple people at the same time. And I think a reason a reason that's the case is I do think that individuals are taking responsibility, you know, they're, they're taking responsibility for their own careers and in the same way that I can't take credit for every great thing that happens because so much goes into into producing the work, so many small efforts from lots of different people. It can you know, it can take its toll a little bit, but it's never felt. I think that's actually one of the things that I has always drawn me to the job is I want to be that person who is there at every, you know, every step of the way. I'm wondering if it ever feels like quite a competitive atmosphere, both within the company or um, outside of it, just in the kind of agenting, agenting landscape, because obviously... You know, there's a talent pool. Are you vying for individuals or, or does it actually feel, you know, quite supportive? We definitely benefit enormously from having each other here. We, apart from, I think that this company thrives on the ability, but I mean, both the sort of like really fun camaraderie that we have in our department, but also the information that we share from all the different departments makes it so much more easier for us to do our jobs well you also I think going back to the last question you can feel quite alone when you're shouldering when you're sort of there to be to help other people solve their problems and you know so you you, you can feel lonely and what's great about having my colleagues um, is that we 
we definitely talk about some of the problems and the frustrations that we're having and ask support each other in really crucial ways. I would say that it's never felt too competitive. I think everyone is sort of carving their own path and has is defined by their own tastes. There might be rare instances where we overlap, but generally we're very supportive. We're also happy to team up. And I would say that broadly in the industry as a whole, I, my experience is that that sense of solidarity extends to other agents, other agencies specifically looking at some of my peers, many of which are good friends, many of which I regularly want together with just to share perspectives. And I'm of the mind that working together, we can all do so much better than trying to bring each other down in an industry that's not huge. Yeah, that's really heartening. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, that's one of the great things about working as an agent in the UK. I'm also wondering how you know you're doing a good job because it, it seems to me like the kind of thing that perhaps resists easy reward. Agents work without expecting stats. Like often you're, you're, you're really involved at such an early stage in the process and you put things, you help to bring people together, but then I think it takes on a very intense life of its own and you are not, you know, when something's in production, definitely by that point you've done the majority of your work usually and you've kind of set designed when occasionally clients express their gratitude and appreciation it is so deeply touching that I've kept every single note and letter that I that I've been given along the way I think I think you know you know that you're doing a good job from the kind of bond you have with your clients and the fact that I if I feel like that I'm working with trust me and they would come to me whatever you know with with their problems or as a sounding board and I know that we have like formed a really strong relationship. And speaking of who you represent there are two that stood out to me um, in that they're very unique filmmakers and they're Kalia and uh, Georgia Paris um, but it was interesting to me that you know they're both quite interested in movement and choreography and other work that I've seen with them there are some similarities. What stood out to you about them? And you know, is there a broader theme that you think unites all your clients? You know, what, what ignites that passion for you when you see their work? I mean, both Anil and Georgia really represent kind of directors that are very, very exciting for me to work with. You know, going back to something that I said earlier about, you know, about cinema having so much kind of potential to take different forms, do different things that it hasn't yet, that ha- having it happened. I think that both Anil and Georgia in their first films were taking a really bold approach and trying to carve out new territory for Georgia. You know, partly it was integrating dance and movement and choreography seamlessly into the sort of emotional storytelling, which I think she did in a really powerful way for Anil. He, he wanted to portray a, a, a sort of state of mind and being that was beyond the rational and he broke down a lot of conventions in order to sort of do that cinematically as well. And I'm really drawn to people that want to take cinema in directions that it hasn't been in before, that have really strong visions that are very distinct. And I'm also very naturally drawn to directors from underrepresented backgrounds because I have 
I, sh- I feel like I share both personal affinity with that and I also have a very deep craving myself to see different perspectives for the three. Has that been hard? Do you feel like you're pushing against the grain when you're doing that? Or is that, you know, just something that came naturally to you and you feel like it's, it's a topic of conversation at the moment anyway? So it's- it came naturally to me for, for a very long, like, you know, I, I guess I've been here for 13 years. At the beginning of my career, I was working, you know, I've always worked with a lot of women directors and, you know, the people from from different backgrounds and that's because that's sort of you you're really drawn to people you connect with and those are the people that I connected with. It has so happened that, you know, I think at the beginning I was looking at my list and I had probably 50, 50 you know, half half of them were men, half of them were women, and then I was looking at the statistics and thinking, hang on a sec, this doesn't match up and does this mean that you know only a very small percentage of these women are going to have their striving careers in film. You have quite a unique perspective on this um, so I'm wondering whether you feel like you have to persuade the industry to consider your women clients more than your male ones. I think that a lot has changed and I think that I'm, I'm very grateful for that you know I'm really grateful for that and I'm really glad that it's, it's actually a really exciting moment um, to be working with the directors that I'm working with and the writers, but I also feel like there are still a huge obstacles. And you have quite a unique perspective on this, so I am wondering if you feel like you have to persuade people more to work with your women. Not anymore. I think it was definitely... I felt that was the case about five, six years ago, maybe, that women needed to prove themselves more to be given the same opportunities as were being given to men that maybe did not have had had didn't also have like a huge amount of experience. I could see I could see that happening now. That is certainly not the case. But I do wonder about further down the line when it comes to distribution, when it comes to awards consideration, where we still confer value as an industry where value is perceived and the finished in the work and I feel like it's much more great that you sort of weighted towards well uh, weighted against women and directors and underrepresented backgrounds. Um, and how are you deciding what to put your clients forward for? Is that a conversation that you're having with them? You know, is that instinctive? What does that process look like? Uh, it is based on a conversation a conversation that we are continually having every time we read a script together, every time we talk about what they want to do. So that the, the sort of understanding and, the, and of their ambitions is is there. I feel like I, I grasp that early early on, and then just refines itself. And then there's a sort of a, an internal algebra when you're working out how do you get someone from where they are to where they want to be in 30 years' time, there's, there's a huge amount of like instinctive response that comes into play. And I often feel a very deep sense of things that are going to work out and opportunities that feel absolutely right based on all the stuff that I know. And I'm rarely been wrong about that. And speaking of ambitions, obviously it's quite easy to see the director perhaps where that would go with an agent. As you say, like the steps of agents assistant associate mm. agent. So once you're in that position, what does what does growth and fulfillment look like for you? Is it is it just constantly building, you know, creating exciting work for your clients? Yeah, at the moment my growth 
my growth is really connected to the growth and, and development of my clients. So as I see the people around me who I'm working with reach these these different places in their career, I feel like we're, we're sort of moving that together and that does feel like growth to me. It's definitely really important to not, to me, like to, you know, I feel like I've got so much to learn and trying to learn as much as I can and not... Um, not sort of rest on not get complacent and that's that's definitely an area an area of my personal growth that I'm really interested in I want to be able to learn as much as I can about the industry and different aspects of the industry and different you know working not just in the UK but learning more about the you know landscape in the US learning more about the landscape in different territories maybe when I'm further down in my along in my career I will be able to look at the landscape and think now what can I do to now what can I do to kind of like continue to help people do you feel like there's enough um structural support for that like schemes no I've actually this is something that I've been thinking about so from where I'm sitting I'm not aware of of the right scheme for me and for a lot of my peers I know about inside pictures obviously I think Correct me if I'm wrong. And it's there is like an app, an application fee that is sizable for anyone who, even if they're supported by a company. I really wish that there was, and I'm thinking about a scheme that would help people that are advanced professionals to learn more about other other areas of the industry with which they have no access to. And I think one of the things that I find hard, which is one of your questions about my job as an agent is not learning as much as I'd like to about the connected but very different sides of the industry. Maybe this sort of shared, like a mutual shadowing opportunity where you can spend a week at the office or working with someone who you deal with every day but who does something totally different to you. And, and likewise, I think, it, you know, maybe if enough people opted into that, then we could, we could see what the like I'm missing we could swap places for a few days and we would learn so much and presumably a big part of the role is networking and kind of meeting and talking to other people is that something that you always had an aptitude for or that you felt like you developed those skills in-house and on your job I think one of the things that I learned different agents different agents have really different skills really different personalities everyone does it in a slightly different way and one of the things that I learned from my Boss, because I was trained under Duncan Heath, and I think the person that you grow up under really informs you and teaches you lots of things. And one of the big things that I saw from Duncan is, you know, he has this, this enormous personality, and it gives him an ability to work with people who have big personalities and presences, and and to deal with people very well. And so I think that. That's definitely something I learned from observing Duncan. I do think it helps to be a naturally confident person in this job because you do need to pick up the phone and call, yeah, try and, and have a meaningful conversation about someone else as well. Um, and back to like when you're um, spotting and then signing talent, how do you sort of pitch yourself and back yourself, especially if there's maybe you know a bit of competition or there's um, yeah, there's an excitement around that particular person and lots of people are 
interested to have you sort of come the right person to represent me. Don't hide your personality and try and let that kind of authentic connection either happen or not happen. I want someone to imagine that they will be happy to speak to this person several times a week for the next 30 years and while you can point to various things, whether it's the type of company you work at and what that offers and you know there are there are all these things that feed into that, it does so often come down to a personal connection and a gut feeling that you have about someone. I definitely do try and connect on that level and I hope that they will realise that the reason that we're sitting in the room together is because our tastes are in line, my ambitions for them are in line with theirs. Um, I understand their work and what they're trying to do. And the desire, when you really feel convinced that you need to work with someone and you can't imagine your career without that person. Do you have a moment that stands out to you as a palace in your 30 years of working with <laughs> <laughs> I have a recent moment that was a really proud moment for me because I was in Sundance in January with two films two directors, writer-directors that I, and these were two films that I, I felt very invested in from the earliest stage and and they took very, very different paths and it was a really proud moment to see them come to fruition and see them sort of premiere for the first time. It was very cathartic and very emotional. Presumably one of those was Serge. One of them was Serge, yeah, and one of them was Serge. And um, finally, is that a, a film that you've seen recently by a woman director that you think is an undervalued gem that anyone can use the space to recommend? I've been thinking about this question really hard and truthfully, I cannot land on something that is that would qualify. I, I don't know. I mean, so many films are undervalued and in some ways this would be one of them, but I did recently see Portrait um, of a Lady on Fire and I would say that it is one of my favourite films of all time. I think it is an absolutely perfect film. And that's exactly the word that I use to describe it as well. I'm just like, it, it's perfection. Like, I can't yeah, think about it in any other terms. On every single level, it just, it just was so, so beautifully constructed and clever. And, and also had a lot of really, as well as being really emotionally effective, was also really like cleverly answering like part of this dialogue of who gets to look and create art and what happens to that subject when once it sort of becomes a work of art. Thank you so much for your time today. downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip. If you liked what you heard and found it interesting, I'm pleased to say there is plenty more where it came from and you can browse the archive at your leisure on iTunes, Spotify or Acast. And if you really, really liked what you heard, leave a review. I'm told it's meant to spread good pod karma. The final episode of season two is also available to download right now and that's with Lizzie Frankie from the BFI, which was recorded live at the Glasgow Film Festival. In the meantime, take care, wash your hands, and stay tuned for more episodes later in the year.